So we've been going through a series. Um, let me introduce myself. My name's Cody. I'm uh, the lead pastor here at Redeemer Church. But we've been going through a series called Values. We're coming up on our first anniversary as a church uh, from public gatherings. And uh, we thought what would be good to uh, c- kind of conclude the summer is to rem- remind ourselves what are the values that we, uh, that we hold here at Redeemer Church. And so we're asking God to form us into a gospel-centered, disciple-making family. So we're kind of taking time to go through each of those values. And today we're looking at what is discipleship? What is discipleship? Last week we talked primarily about what a disciple is. What, it, what does it mean for you to be a disciple? Today we're going to look at the cost of being a disciple. Today we're going to look at what it, what it means to truly follow after, after Jesus. And uh, what Jesus seems to be doing here whenever he sees the, the great crowds before him is he seems to be trying to talk everyone out of following Jesus. And so for uh, a while here during this sermon, it might sound like I'm trying to talk you out of following Jesus, but I think that is just trying to be true to the text of what Jesus said whenever he saw the crowds before him. He really wants us to consider the cost. So let's dive in and see what it says here. In verse 25, great crowds were following him. So this means that things are going good, right? Uh, the word is getting out all about Jesus. And so uh, instead of really hitting them with a rousing rally to say, now let's go, everyone, he hits them with this, verse 26. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, hate his own father, mother, wife, children, I think I pointed to everyone uh, that, that, that applies to me, his brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my follower. He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Skip down to verse 33. Look what it says. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Nothing is excluded. Absolutely nothing is excluded from Jesus's rule over our life in these passages. Nothing at all. And that's not how I'm sure the disciples were like, Jesus, why are you preaching like this now? We, we got the crowd. We're successful. We, we, we did it. The movement is starting. Why, why? Why did you hit them with this, hate your mother and father? That's not how you rally the troops. That's not, that's not, this isn't a good thing. But here's the thing. Jesus wasn't trying to form a mega church. He wasn't. He wasn't trying to start something that, uh, uh, that, that was appealing to the masses. What was he trying to do? He was trying to show everyone how valuable the offer of salvation that he offers. He was trying to show show people how amazing this gift of salvation actually was and how how worthy he was, how worthy of he was of total surrender. And then he wanted them to really consider the cost. And you might be saying to yourself, but hate your father and mother? I thought we were supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. And, and that includes people that are closest to, to us. And this really trips you up. But, but here's the thing. He's trying to say this comparatively. He's, he's saying compared to our allegiance to Christ, every other relationship, yes, even the relationship between husband and wife needs an even relationship between mother and son, even relationship between father and daughter has to seem like hate compared to how much we are devoted to Christ. So he's using comparative language here. Let me give you an example. 
I have an aunt and uncle that absolutely love pets. They are just, they, they love pets. Cats, dogs, you name it. Uh, they are so tender. They are so kind. They, you know, they, I mean, ice in the bowl, like inside. That, like that, that type of, you, you know the type, okay? I don't have to explain any further, all right? But there was one point early on whenever they had a little girl to, the, to where one of their beloved pets who they cherished and loved uh, scratched the little girl on the face. And guess what? That dog no longer lived in that household ever again. It was gone. Uh, and if I started off with that and I said, hey, well, there was this one time that my aunt and uncle got rid of their pet overnight and it was no longer living. You say, well, Cody, that doesn't sound like they love animals. What do you, what do you mean? Overnight, they just got rid of their beloved dog uh, that, that doesn't sound like an animal lover at all. There, there, isn't there other options? And now, listen, what, what I'm trying to say is their devotion to their child way, way, way over-trumped their devotion to their dog, even though they're dog, dog people. And this is what Jesus is trying to say. Your devotion to me, every other relationship in your life has to seem like absolute and total hate because Jesus, loyalty to Jesus demands this. And he also deserves this. Our loyalty to him has to be so strong that compared to everything else, it seems like hate. And listen, if you're not willing to give him that, Jesus says, then you have no business, no business following him at all. No business being a disciple. And I know whenever I preach that here in the Bible Belt, he's like, okay, that's okay. Uh, I'm a Christian. Uh, I guess I'll try to grow up, grow into this disciple thing. At least I'm a Christian, I'm not, but I'm just not yet a disciple. I, I'll consider the cost like maybe later down the road whenever I have more time or whenever uh, you know, it's, it's more advantageous for me. I'm just a Christian now and, said, uh, and I'll grow into a disciple. But listen, listen, this is not the game that Jesus is, is, is giving us. He's not giving us this game of, oh, you can just be on the team and sit on the bench. You can just be on the team and ride the bench and kind of be uh, this uh, JV, just JV player Christian. And varsity is actually Christian, or varsity is being a follower of Jesus. Varsity is actually being a disciple or a disciple maker. And this is not what he's presenting to us today. It's absolutely not. There's, there's not varying degrees of, of a JV, varsity, you know, super varsity or whatever. He's not saying anything. He says, you're either in the game or you're not a follower at all. That's, that's, what he, that's what he's presenting. He's saying, my game, everyone that is on my team is on the field. There is no bench in my game. This is, this is serious, serious stuff that Jesus is trying to communicate to us. And he's trying to say, if you have not considered the cost of being a full-fledged follower of me, being a disciple who takes up my mission, then there is no shortcuts. There really is no, there is no uh, bench. There is no B team. You're either all in or you're all out. This is very black and white. And this is what Jesus is presenting to us today. Look what it says in verse 27. It says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then he gives an example. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who will see him will mock him and say, this is the man who began to build and was not able to finish. You see what he's saying? He's not saying there's some really bad builders out there. 
He's saying if you begin to build and you are not able to finish, you're, you have no business even calling yourself a, biz, a builder because builders don't make those mistakes. In the, in the same way, what he is present, then he talks about the, the, the king or the military general, right? And he says, there's no king that has ever just flippantly gone out there uh, and, and just thrown out their armies to be slaughtered. He says, that's not how kings act. That's not what kings do. Kings consider the cost. They weigh the, they, they weigh the, the importance of their decision-making. And if a king does that, they don't even deserve to be called king. In the same way, he says, if you, as a disciple of Christ, do not pick up your cross, bear it on your back, and follow after Jesus, then guess what? He says, you cannot be my disciple. This is serious. And this is what God is calling us to today. Because listen, listen, I'm sure there was a lot of people during, this, during these days that were following Jesus because following Jesus seemed like a good thing to do. Jesus had a lot of cool things going, to, uh, going for him. He, he was an attractive figure. He was a captivating speaker. He, he had rumors going around him like he could walk on water, even though that wasn't a rumor. And, and, other, and he had really a, a huge buzz following around, following around him that he could take you to, uh, uh, that he was the Messiah, that he was the promised one. And all of us, I think a lot of times here in the Bible Belt, we come to God the exact same way. We treat Jesus as if, you know what? I, I think Jesus can do something that will actually benefit me, right? Jesus can, Jesus can uh, help my family be in, in right structured order. Jesus can uh, help me be more moral. Jesus can, this whole Christianity thing can, can help me in this one way or another. And that's worth some level of devotion, you think. But here's the thing. At some point, obedience to Jesus is not always going to uh, answer, all of, answer all your prayers according to the plans that you have for yourself, declares you. There's going to be some times in life that Jesus is going to take you on a path that you say, what is going on and where are you taking me? And, and what Jesus is calling us to now is considering, will I still follow him if he takes me to a place that I don't want to go? Have you considered, have you considered the, the cost there? Because life, is not, life with Christ is not always going to be easier. Sometimes it's going to be harder. And right now, living a godly life in this secular age that has a secular culture and different standards of morality, it will not always lead you to prosperity. Have you considered the cost? So here's my question. Are you ready to follow him whenever he takes you on a path that you wouldn't choose for yourself? Are you ready? Are you ready to follow him even whenever it is hard? Because notice that Jesus is saying following him means taking up, his taking up your own cross. He didn't say take up my moral teachings. He didn't say grab all the things that you're already sensitive to, to and you like. Grab all the, the, the good definitions of justice or conservatism or whatever it is. And say follow him whenever uh, your, your heart is motivated to follow him. No, he says follow him because he's Lord period, full stop. Follow him then and take up your own cross. So what does it mean for us to take up our cross, cross today? Because the cross is not what we think of, cross back then is not what we think about it um, as today. It's not, a, it's not a fancy piece of jewelry that we put around our, put around our neck or, or, or earrings that we put on our ears. No, the cross was um, just straightforward, an instrument of torture and execution. And here's the thing. 
the first Christians, they understood that. They understood that. They understood exactly what Jesus was trying to communicate. This is what it means if you want to follow me. This is what it means that if, you, if you're going to be one of my disciples, if the, the dust off of my sandals is going to fall on you to where you want to follow me closely, then it means that you're going to have to bear your own cross, grab your, grab your instrument of torture and death and say, I'm going to lay on this and follow and trust him. And we need to understand this because it's a stark contrast because we fly by verses like this, do we not? Whenever we read these things devotionally, we just fly by them and we don't consider the gravity of what's going on right here. They knew and understood how the first century Christians knew and understood what this means. And in fact, a lot of the first century Christians, you know what they did? They died in the same manner that Christ died. They're in 69 to 70 AD. Uh, there was a, uh, this was right after the reign of Nero. There, there was a guy, I, I don't really know how to say his name, but it's um, Vespatin, Vespatin. And uh, he was the, he was the uh, emperor of Rome at the, at the time. And he was the emperor that went into Jerusalem and uh, totally destroyed the temple. Laid siege on Jerusalem and in 70 AD flattened the temple and it was never, never rebuilt Again, and, and Jesus actually said that this was all going, to, all going to happen. But you know what he did with all the, the Christians whenever he kind of riled them up if they weren't able to escape? He put them all on crosses all along the road so that anyone that was traveling to Jerusalem, they knew something was wrong because all along the road for miles, there was Christians hung up on crosses. So they knew, they knew that if they weren't going to bow down and worship the emperor or whatever the government said to do, then they were going to end up in the same way that their savior did. That's the context. That's the context of what it means to take up your cross, to follow Jesus, even whenever there's heavy persecution. That's what, that's what it means. And today, what we need to understand is even though their circumstances were different than our circumstances right now, and I'm not trying to rile you up to try to say, Let, let's go die or anything like that here in Wichita Falls, Texas, because praise God, we don't have to. Praise God, we don't have to. But, but it, what it is saying that our level of devotion to, to Christ has to be exact, exactly the same that it was for them. Exactly the same. So let's answer this question. What exactly does take up your cross mean for us today? And I think it means two things. Number one, total self-surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. Number one, total self-surrender. And number two, a personal embrace of the Great Commission. Let's look at them one at a time. And so if a person on the cross needs to recognize that they, uh, they need total self-surrender, what it means to bear our cross means that I don't have any plans. I am now bound and crucified with Christ. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died, for, and died for me. Then you know what this means? It means that you don't have any of your own plans. You're looking to Jesus and saying, whatever you have for me, I will do. This is what it means to be totally surrendered to something. Does this describe your relationship with Jesus? Have you brought everything under total surrender of the lordship of Jesus? Have you brought all of your beliefs under the total surrender of Jesus? All your beliefs. 
Because I, it's become increasingly, increasingly popular to say, oh, it's okay for us to follow Jesus and accept in a way that is, um, goes contrary to the cultural narrative around us. And so it's okay for me to follow Jesus, except, you know what, he, he's being a little hard on those that uh, identify as uh, homosexual over here. And so let's soften that blow. Let's soften that blow over here. Or it's okay for us to, fo- it's okay for us to follow Jesus, but in, in this area over here of, you know what, really, it, it needs to be God and country and, and, and all of that, and that's really what God cares about. It's like, no, no, no. Are, do you understand Do you understand what it means to be on a cross? You're not in control of your life. On the cross, you are completely beholden to your captor. And what Jesus is saying, are you completely beheld to him? Because here's the thing. What's really interesting about this is we need to understand that if someone's saying, oh, I'm following Jesus, but I just disagree at this point over here. Listen to me. Look at me. Do you understand what it means for Jesus to be Lord? Do you understand the concept of lordship? Because whenever Jesus is Lord, what he's trying to call us to and considering the cost is he's saying, I make the rules, I'm in charge. Does that describe your relationship with him? Because this is what he's calling us to, total surrender. That we, that we are on that cross and saying, God, take me wherever you call me to be. Have you brought your will, all your decisions, captive to his direction? All your decision-making, do you first consider Christ? Do you first look to him? Do you first consult with godly counsel? Do you first move to him in prayer? Is this your knee-jerk reaction? Have you considered the cost? Have you considered the cost? I like to say it this way, like, uh, have you given the Lord Jesus a blank check with your life? You remember checks, right? Uh, Maybe some of us don't. (laughs) Let's just be honest. (laughs) Uh, but checks are, are, are something, you know, that, you know, form a current, I don't know what they are either. Uh, but uh, a blank check is, I've signed it, and uh, you, my bank account number and my, my routing number is on, at the bottom, and so I'm kind of at your mercy, and you hand it to someone else and say, you fill in the amount. You fill in the amount. I'm not going to limit what you can ask of me. You are in charge. Have you done that with, with Jesus? Have you said, I... Um, you can do and fill in, in my life anything that you, that you desire. Have you done that with your life? Have you done that with your life with Christ? Have you considered what it means to be a disciple of him? Have you weighed the cost of discipleship? Have you? Because in Luke chapter 9, I told you I was going on this, he talks earlier about uh, the cost of discipleship. He talks earlier about the cost of discipleship, and there are several people trying to consider what it means to follow Jesus. And in verse 57, you know what it says? It says says this, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds uh, of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You know what he's saying there? You know what he's saying there? He's saying, are you going to follow me even whenever it's uncomfortable? The Son of Man has no place to lay, lay his head. That could, be, that could be literally, or literally the question that I have for us today is, are you following Jesus for your own comfort, or are you following him for a cross? Do you think that there's several things in life that uh, if I follow Jesus, then all these things will go swimmingly? 
or are you following Jesus because he's worth it and he deserves all the glory, all the honor, all the praise? Do you see him as that valuable? Do you see him as that beautiful? Have you considered the cost there? One of the things that Stephanie and I have prayed for over again with one of our kids, and it's a hard prayer, especially as I get to know them better and the more I love them and the more I cherish them. But I said, Lord, will you send one of our kids to an unreached people group? That is a hard prayer to pray. The greater I love my children, the more I want to see them around Thanksgiving and Christmas. Uh, the more I think about the cost of what it would mean for them to go and lay down their life for the sake of the gospel. But listen, if we believe that Jesus is worth it, then we have to say, here's the blank check. Even my children, if it, you, because you are worth it. Even my children will go because you are Lord. Even my children will, 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 will go and maybe even lay down their life to God be the glory. Because Jesus, you are worth it. Have you considered that? with your family? Have you considered that with your own life? I challenge you. Is Jesus worth it to you? Because this is what it's calling us to. Total devo devotion, total surrender. There was another, right after this, he, he goes on to say in verse 59 of, chap of Luke chapter nine, or ch verse 59, it says, to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury the, their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now that seems a little harsh, right? Can't even get my dad in a, in a grave? What's, what's up with that, Jesus? Well, scholars, as I dove into this, they said that this man, really what he was looking for was his inheritance of his, after he, he got um, word that his father had passed away. And what Jesus is literally saying here is, hey, Am I worth leaving your inheritance behind? Am I worth that to you? Is the, is the good news of the kingdom coming? The Messiah being here? The Lord of glory who created you with the breath of my, with my, the breath of my mouth, who formed you out of the dust of the earth? I am here standing before you. Am I worth it? Am I more valuable than your inheritance? And that's what Jesus is, is communicating to this guy. Even though it sounds harsh, he has a very pointed Example. So let me ask you this. Is there any limits to your obedience? Christian, is there any limits to your obedience? Can you say, I'll follow Jesus as long as I have this, this, and that? What are those things? Because those three things are your real God. Those three things are the real things that you're worshiping, and Jesus is just a means to an end to get these three things. That's what the Bible is trying to communicate. Total surrender, total lordship of, of Jesus. A follower of Jesus has forsaken all, has forsaken all that Jesus has for, forbidden and commenced all that Jesus commands. Do you want, do you want the dust of his sandals to fall on you? Do you want him to? Are you delaying your obedience in any way? Are you saying to your, in your own heart, well, maybe, maybe I can live for him. Maybe I'll, I'll surrender this whenever my kids are out of diapers. Maybe I'll surrender this whenever I get the promotion in the job. Maybe I'll surrender this when, if, if I get the plane that I want, if I get the F-22, if I get the F-35. Maybe then I will give all that I have to him. But until that, but until that, I got some work to do. Are you delaying obedience in any way? He says, bear your own cross. Die to everything. 
die to everything because without bearing the cross, he says, there is no relationship. There is no relationship. And I know this is heavy, but it's what the word of God is calling us to this morning. Have you considered the cost? The other day, I, I tried to, um, this was actually a couple of months ago, I tried to walk into Sam's and I'm just trying to, you know, I had Costco back in Lubbock and so I was like, I don't know if I need, I need to do this. And, um, and it's like, you know what, I'll just go look around. Try to look around. Nope. There's <laughs> like, sir, do you have a membership? I was like, oh, I just want to look. It's like, nope, go over there, you know. And so I, they were serious about, I couldn't even go into their store, right, without having that little card. And, if, and really all Sam's Club is doing is ripping off Luke 14 right here. <laughs> because he, he's saying, you, you cannot be my disciple unless you pick up your cross and follow me. The evidence that you belong to him is that you have full, fully surrendered all that you have to Jesus and to Jesus alone. Jesus will not have followers who do not submit to following him fully and immediately. Do you ask questions? Whenever, whenever you see something in, your, in God's word, you ask questions immediately? Is that your, is that your knee-jerk reaction to say, is it, is it safe? What will these people think? What will this mean to my relationships? What will it mean for my life in college? What will it mean for, for my bank account? Are these questions that you ask before you will actually obey? Are you saying, Cody, are you asking us to be perfect? Absolutely not. I'm asking you to consider what is your knee-jerk reaction? Who is Lord of your life? Is it your bank account? Is it the things that you're trying to protect? Or the, is it the things that make you comfortable? Or is it him? Listen, I know that there is so much in this book that is hard to understand. I know that there's so much in this book that I'm like, God, I don't know. If I, if I was in charge, I wouldn't say that. But what is your knee-jerk reaction? Is it even when you say it, you're Lord, you're Lord, and I will believe it, I will believe it and say that you're right and I'm wrong, even if I don't fully yet understand it. That's what it means to consider the cost of following Jesus with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Listen, Hebrews chapter 11, it says this. It talks about um, where faith can take you. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 33 through 35, it says this. Some faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lying. I, I, sign me up for this, right? <laughs> I'm subscribing to this, this level of faith. God, do these things. Quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, become mighty in war, put foreign enemies to flight. And then look at verse 35, how interesting it is. It says in verse 35, some women received their dead by resurrection and then without batting an eye, said the same faith that did all of this, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Some were sawn in two, some were beaten. Have you considered the cost of full surrender of Jesus even whenever your life doesn't go the way that you want it to go? That's what it means to embrace this role of discipleship of following Jesus. Have you answered that with yes? Because there's another thing that it, it means to have full-blown discipleship with Jesus, what it means to follow him. And it's this, number two, do you have a personal embrace of the Great Commission? Have you personally embraced your role in the Great Commission? 
And so um, some of us can say, okay, full surrender. Let me just define that the way that I want to appease my own conscience and say, okay, I've defined it. Yeah, I totally surrender to him in these areas, kind of these sinful habits, but the, and yet I don't have to work over here. See, that, you know what that is? That's passive obedience. That's passive obedience, and it's not just okay. God is not just calling us to passive obedience, just command me, and therefore I'll do it. He also calls us to active embracement of his mission. Active embracement of his mission. Have you done that in your life? Because that's part of the cost of discipleship. Imagine you enlisted in the military. Imagine you enlisted in the military and you passively said, yeah, sure, send me wherever you, you want to send me. I'll go to Germany. I'll go to Japan. I'll go, I'll go to anywhere that you want, want me to go. And you kind of passively submit to that. But uh, I'm just telling you up front, as I'm enlisting, that uh, if active war breaks out with a, a world superpower, I'm out. I'm out. Uh, what's the recruiter going to do? I was like, I don't think you understand what militaries are for. I don't think you, I don't think you get what you're signing up for. This is not just passive that we're going to send you to different places because you like to travel. No, whenever uh, things break out and it, Lord willing, they won't, but if they do, we need you to go. We need you to embrace the mission wholeheartedly. This is what, this is what uh, uh, God is calling us to. Discipleship means that you have a personal embrace on the mission of God. You personally embrace what the mission of God is. And here at Redeemer, as I have, uh, have gone throughout Wichita Falls and tried to communicate what we, what we value as a church and try to call people, I don't know, I don't know, I'm not the Holy Spirit, I'm not trying to, 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 to weasel my way into anyone's life, but I'm saying this is what I feel like God has uniquely called, called this, this body of believers to embrace as a local church Come if the Lord is leading you to come. And, and listen, as I share that, I get a whole lot of praise for gospel centrality. They're like, oh, Cody, I kind of, yeah, gospel centrality. I might not have used that language, but I get what you're saying. Like you, you want us to be wholehearted, devoted followers of Jesus. You want us to, to believe the word of God and to abide in him. Like I get that. I love that. Uh, gospel centrality. Love that part of the mission. That is so cool. I'm so glad you're here. They, then they hear our, our value of family, and they said, family? Man, I've always wanted that, and I've had bad experiences in the past and all this other stuff. I, want for, I don't want to belong to a people that is not my immediate family that embraces the, the value of family. And then I get to disciple-making, and this is where I get the pushback. Then I get to the mission of God, and that's whenever people look at me and like, well, wait, you just mean invite people to church, right? You just mean give, right? What, what, do you, what do you actually mean by making disciples who make disciples? And this is always where the pushback comes. What, what, how much am I going to have to give up? How radical are you about that? Is that something that I can learn later? Or is that something that I can kind of weasel my way around and still embrace Redeemer Church? This is what I've noticed. This is what I've noticed here. And what's so What's so interesting about all of this is making disciples is the last thing, the last thing that Jesus called us to. And whenever someone resurrects from the dead and gives you final instructions, you want to listen to those final instructions. In Matthew, Matthew 28, 19, 20, you, you know this. You know this passage. Um, it says, 
All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Should we listen to him or should we just memorize that? What did we learn from James? Don't be mere hearers of the word. And so to save yourselves, let's do what it says. Let's do what it says. And this is part of what it means to consider the cost. That sometimes this is going to be uncomfortable. Sometimes this is going to be hard. Sometimes this is going to lead you to a place that you don't necessarily want to be in that day. But have you considered the cost of discipleship, of following Jesus? So let's, uh, let's, ask, or let's answer two practical questions here. Have you embraced the Great Commission? You want to know another summary of the Great Commission? It's found in 2 Peter 3.9. Many of you have this memorized. It says, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I talk to college students often that try to ask the question, what is God's will for my life? Guess what? It's right here. God's will for your life is this, to draw people in your sphere of influence to repentance through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The will of God is not lost on anyone in this room. The will of God is very plainly described in his word. Do you know what God's word says about the lost? Have you, I know this is something that we don't like to think about. I know this is something that we, we don't like to preach on very often here in the Bible Belt because we consider that everyone knows it. But let's be reminded by God's word. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 and 9. It says, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in a flaming fire, he will inflict vengeance. He will inflict vengeance on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Revelation 20 verse 15 says, if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he will be thrown into the lake of fire. Have you considered the implications of not knowing Jesus in this room? This is part of the call of discipleship. Have you considered the implications of those that are around you that don't yet know who Jesus is, have not yet committed their life, have not yet counted the cost in their lives? Have you? Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. We know something that they don't. If you bear the name of Christ, you know something that they don't. And how can you not? How can you not lay down your life so that they would know, that they too would know the cross demands something of us. The cross demands the mission be accomplished through us. He, he is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's those in your sphere of influence. We don't all have my role. Listen, we don't all have my role. And I pray, and I, I hope you're praying too, that God raises up people that will go and proclaim the gospel the same way that I am from this platform, and we will be able to send them out on the mission of God to go multiply healthy churches, um, healthy churches in our in our country and in our in our city and to the to the nations. But we all have, I pro I promise you, we do all have a specific role to play in the Great Commission. And that role is primarily in the people that you are around day in and day out. Do they know that you know Jesus? Jeff Vanderstelt, who. Uh, wrote a book called Gospel Fluency. He gives a, a great example of a guy that came to faith in his church. Um, he came to faith, and the first thing he did was he was excited, so he, he went to go tell his, uh, he went to go tell, uh, his coworkers. 
And he told one of, one of his coworkers that he greatly admired him. He said, hey, I, I want you to know that I'm now a follower of Jesus. And he goes, yes, that is so great. That is so amazing. I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you to know Jesus. And he goes, really? He goes, yeah, that's great. Now we're, now we're brothers in Christ. And I'm, I'm so thrilled that uh, there's another follower of Jesus in our workplace. And he said, why didn't you tell me? I was like, why are you so upset? Why are you so hurt? I was praying for you. I was doing, I was, I was doing my role. And he said, you were one of the reasons why I didn't turn to Jesus sooner. And he goes, what do you mean? He said, I saw how good you lived. I saw how you did your work. I saw your family life. I saw how you treated your wife. I saw how you treated your kids. And all it did was produce in my heart, I need to be better. I need to strive harder. I need to work harder. And then maybe I can be as good as him. And I didn't know the entire time that you were doing that because you were devoted to Jesus. It would have been better for me that you told me that you were a follower of Jesus. Who is that in your life? Does everyone in your sphere of influence know that you're a follower of Jesus? Have you planned? Have you prayed? Have you devoted yourself in your gospel community? Do people in this church know who you're praying for to know Jesus? This is the call to discipleship that God is, God is calling us to this morning. Total surrender to the lordship of Jesus and a personal embrace of the great commission. Because here's the thing, guys. Don't tell me we're ready to go all the way with Jesus unless you're willing to obey him where he is so explicit in his word. There are so many so-called nominal Christians that all they do is they put on a front and then their life has no difference. They're not laying down on a cross. They are in charge. Their gods are in charge their comfort, their control, their power, these things are ultimately in charge of them. And here's the thing. Real Christianity, real Christianity has nothing to do with comfort. It has everything to do with the cross. You say, Cody, this was a little bit more intense than last week. Sometimes the word of God does that. And sometimes we have to hear it. And you might be saying, Cody, this is not a good way to grow this church. Um, Jesus, well, Jesus thought so. He thought it was good to say, consider the cost. Follow me. Follow me only after you've considered total surrender and a personal embrace of the Great Commission. Look how he ends right here. He says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no use either for the soil or the manure pile, it is just thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. You know what he's saying? He's saying, if salt isn't salty, it's not really salt. If a builder doesn't consider the cost, he's not really a builder. If a king doesn't consider the cost, he's not really a king. If a disciple doesn't consider the cost, he's not really a disciple. This is the principle that Jesus is laying before us. And if we see and we take up the mantle of discipleship, everything will be different. It will. What is your knee-jerk reaction to the commands of Christ? Is it naturally, yes, I'm in, even though I have a million questions, I'm in? That's my hope. That's my prayer for you. Because listen, listen, Jesus isn't calling us to anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. Right? 
Jesus himself knew that he too would, um, would crawl up on a cross and he would do so willfully. He would lay down and let his captors take him wherever they wanted to take him and string him up and he would die in our place so that whenever we see him with the, the eyes of our heart, we can say, nothing in my arms I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Whatever you command of me, I will do. Does your heart say that this morning? I'll end with a story. Jeremiah Lampier, uh, if you know your church history well, you know that he was just a regular businessman that worked in downtown Manhattan in 1857. He had a conviction from the Lord that uh, he wanted, that uh, the Lord wanted to move in downtown Manhattan. And he was so burdened by the sin that was going on in the 1850s that he said, I'm going to pray that God brings great revival. I'm going to pray for that. And so what he did is he set up, he made different flyers, and he set up all these flyers, and he put, put them all around downtown, and he posted them everywhere he could. And, he, and he, the, the week before, he was passing out flyers and giving personal invitations. And he said, next Wednesday, from, from noon to 1, we're going to be at... Uh, uh, the North Dutch Reformed Church, and we're going to pray that God stirs in our heart a deep desire for discipleship to where we'd be totally surrendered to him and that we will embrace the Great Commission personally. 12 o'clock came around. How many people do you think showed up? Zero. <laughs> Zero people showed up. 30 minutes later, you know how many people showed up? One. And he and that other gentleman prayed all those things that God would bring great revival in New York City. And he said, let's do it again next week. And he said, okay. You know how many people showed up? Six. It's going up, but it's not going up very quickly. The next week, they had 16. The week after that, they had 40. And then guess what happened? Run on the banks. The panic of 15 or, uh, of 1857. And so all of a sudden, overnight, 30,000 people in New York City were out of work. And instead of turning inward and saying, you know what, God, why would you do something like this? How dare you disrupt my life in this way? He turned this, four, this group of 40 people that were praying in the North Dutch Reformed Church into 10,000 a month later. People were praying that people would come to faith and, and that continued throughout Philadelphia. Word spread all the way to Chicago. Word spread to San Francisco. And at the lunch hour every Wednesday across the United States, from noon to one, there was tens upon uh, 10,000 people praying that God would move in mighty ways in their, in their country, in their people, in their families' lives. And guess what? Over the course of three years, 50,000 people 50,000 people confess faith for the first time. It was only stopped by the American Civil War. That's what stopped it. And at this time, the population of New York City was only 700,000 people. That's revival. That is revival. My hope for this church is not that we try to, you know, stir up the ghosts of revival past or anything like that, but just that we embrace the role of discipleship that God is calling us to. That's my hope this morning. 
So what I want us to do this morning is every one of us has a next step card in our seat, unless you've thrown it down on the floor and then it's on the floor. And you have a pen. And um, I'm not trying to, to create anything or um, trying to st- play on your emotions whatsoever. All I'm asking you is during this time, will you write a prayer, a personal prayer to God on the back of that next step card? And all those that have considered the cost of discipleship, will you ask personally that God uses you, uses you in the embrace in the embracement of the Great Commission? And will you ask God to help your heart totally surrender to his lordship? In your own words, I don't know what that looks like. I encourage you to, to write that down. Write that down. And whenever the uh, offering plates go by, I, I submit that prayer um, to the Lord. I'd love to partner with you in praying, praying for all those. And so, uh, obviously, uh, can't force you to do it. But I encourage you. If you're ready, if you want to consider the cost and say, God, I'm, I'm all in. Here's my blank check. Write a, prayer, write a prayer to him and say, God, will you please do these things in my life? Will you do that? Will you pray with me?